views and opinions of the guest and host you hear on 1010 WOLB are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio 1, its sponsors, or advertisers. Thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities. Okay. And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress. Yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the 1% the interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house, dollar lot program, because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the streets scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and not have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I gotta get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the, the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses don't tell me that's not by design. We've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let there be no doubt. Justice delayed is justice denied. And welcome back to the Call Tyrone Show.
And we have for you another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show, where we have information um, and we have uh, uh, thing we have uh, interesting uh, points that we want to address, and we have the truth. First and foremost, the truth with the proof, because as I said, we love to share our research because a lot of the things that you hear on this show, you're not going to hear anywhere else and you haven't heard it anywhere else. So I know people are suspicious about some of the information that we're putting out here. So therefore, and then you have some people that don't believe anything unless a white person say it to them. So therefore, we provide uh, evidence of what we're saying, you know, so we want to we want to put out evidence or, or knowledge. Uh, to the community, not just knowledge. And we want knowledge that's actionable, something that you can use. Because, as I've said before, information is not power. The effective use of information is power. Okay? Uh, if you just have got a bunch of facts that you just want to cite and all this stuff, that's great. It's good to know your history. But once you get done with all that uh, research and everything, it's time to roll your sleeves up and let's get to work and make things better for our community. Okay, so <laughs> getting back uh, to uh, another exciting edition of Call Tyrone Show you're with your humble host, Tyrone Boast. Um, I want to wish everybody a happy uh, Indigenous Sunrise. Uh, and uh, the Indians, uh, what we, uh, we call Indians, they're, they're known as Native Americans now, but they, they still call, some of them still call themselves Indians. If you've ever been on reservations, which I have been on, on some of them, um, they, they still call themselves, refer themselves as Indians, some of them. Uh, or indigenous peoples, um, they they um, celebrate a different version of of uh, Thanksgiving. Um, what they do is they all go out to Alcatraz Island, and um, a lot all different tribes. Reason being is that in 1963 Alcatraz was closed, and it became a um, federal surplus. And through treaties with certain Indian nations, if you have federal surplus, it's supposed to revert back to the Indians or the Native Americans. Okay. And that didn't happen with Alcatraz. So what they did was, um, in 1969, uh, they, I believe it was 1969, they, they, they um, took canoes and boats and everything over to Alcatraz. They occupied that island for 19 months. They were ran off by the, by the um, Coast Guard and <laughs> after 19 months were up. <laughs> Luckily, nobody was killed. Somebody died by, had an accidental death. But, you know, they were actually uh, run off the island. And they go there every year now, from now on. If you want to go to Alcatraz, this is in San Francisco Bay, by the way. Um, Something but a rock. It's useless land, really, for the most part. There's only a little bit of usable land on that rock, and that's why they put a lot of those prisoners there. Because back in the day, prison breaks were a real thing. You, uh, as a matter of fact, Clyde, uh, Bonnie and Clyde fame actually broke into a prison with a um, Browning machine gun because he was he was pissed off at the what treatment he got there. You know, executed revenge on the guards and broke somebody out. <laughs> this is reality. I'm talking about uh, the uh, Clyde from Barney and Clyde. Okay. These people were very celebrated, um, uh, celebrated as heroes in certain parts of the country because of what the banks did with the country and bankrupted the country and all that. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't take, they would famously not take the people's money. They would take the bank's money. They didn't want the people's money. Let them keep their money. Um, but they were very, <laughs> very, very bloodthirsty. I mean, it's a, they would kill a police officer without even thinking twice about it, you know. So, or you, if you decide you want to put up resistance in that bank and protect that bank's money. And by the way, they were so loved by the people, you know, the, the, the white underclass, that it's, uh, like 10,000 people attended Bonnie's uh, funeral, okay? Just to give you an idea of what, what happened during the Depression back in those days. 
um, where where you had other groups uh, engaging in lawlessness, which you still do. Okay, and uh, by the way, the vast majority of crimes on the United uh, vast majority of arrests are um, committed by white people because they're the majority population, and uh, most police officers are killed by white people. Okay, I know you've been told otherwise, and but just Google it. Just Google it. Don't 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 feel like I'm just putting out a bunch of nonsense. Google this stuff. So you understand what's going on and you won't be uh, misled by propaganda. Well, at any rate, Kaepernick uh, visited one of those things. Um, the happy, the sunrise Thanksgiving, he visited one of them. They welcomed with open arms. Um, now, the Indians, uh, although they own slaves, <laughs> a lot of them, for some of you people that they, talk about y'all got Indian blood in it. And y'all, most likely you got white blood in you from the slave trade. But I know our family's been telling us that we have Indian blood in us. So, well, you know, I don't argue with people about that stuff. You get some DNA, okay? And then you you can talk with comments about that stuff. Otherwise, you're just talking smack. You don't know what you got in you. Um, you know, because uh, people like Thomas uh, Jefferson, who owned slaves, by the way, and the justification for slaves was that they were subhuman, they were inferior, okay? But he had like six black children by slaves. So what was he engaged in, bestiality? You know, and he started uh, having relations with Sally Hemings, uh, uh, which was his main squeeze, when she was like 14. He started raping her. Okay. So not only was he um, engaging in uh, uh, sexual slaves, he was um, uh, engaging in uh, pedophilia. Uh, you know, okay, textbook pedophilia. All right. So, but those are our founding fathers. We shouldn't speak ill of them. And, uh, you know, especially at the Thanksgiving time and all this thing, this type of thing. Okay, so what we want to do, um, we're going to talk about um, some issues with um, how there's like a wealth gap in this um, country. And um, uh, let's see, tw- they say that uh, for every $20 that white people have, black people have $1. And there's reasons for that. You know, if you go back in history, and we're going to study some of this history. Um, first of all, um, let's, that's, that's, um, Go to clip 92, Jason. This is Malcolm X talking about how some of these problems can be resolved. He's at the Oxford Union debate. And Malcolm X, by the way, was a high school dropout, a former um, uh, ex-offender. And um, he was uh, self-taught. And he was at Oxford debating people with PhDs and whatnot. And this is his last few comments. And this just tells you that. This is for your skill, by the way. It tells you, you know, the people are salvageable. And it also tells you the brilliance of this man. And that uh, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know the way his demise came about. I don't believe in any form of unjustified extremism, but I believe that when a man is exercising extremism in defense of liberty for human beings, it's no vice. And when one is moderate in the pursuit of justice for human beings, I say he's a sinner. And I might add in my conclusion, in fact, America is one of the best examples when you read this history about extremism. Old Patrick Henry said liberty or death. That's extreme. Very extreme. I read one passingly about a man named Shakespeare. I only read about him passingly, but I remember one thing he wrote that kind of moved me. Uh, He put it in the mouth of Hamlet, I think it was, who said, to be or not to be. He was in doubt about something. (laughs) Whether it was nobler in the mind of man to suffer 
prefer the slings and arrows of outrageous sport moderation or to take up arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them. And I go for that. If you take up arms, you'll end it. But if you sit around and wait for the one who's, who's in power to make up his mind that he should end it, you'll be waiting a long time. And in my opinion, the young generation of white, black, brown, whatever else there is, you're living at a time of extremism, a time of revolution, a time when there's got to be a change. People in power have misused it, and now there has to be a change and a better world has to be built, and the only way it's going to be built with it, with it, it is with extreme methods. And I, for one, will join in with anyone, don't care what color you are, as long as you want to change this miserable condition that exists on this earth. Thank you. I don't believe... Malcolm X and um, at Oxford, uh, and he was speaking before an all-white audience. He got a standing ovation, and um, you know he he was just 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 putting it out there that uh, you have a right, you have a right to stand up for your your rights as a human being, not just as an American citizen, but right as a human being. He made that quite clear. The other thing is um, another one, and and he he's right. It was a revolutionary time during the sixties, um, not upheaval. And along with that Indian thing I just spoke about, you also had the civil rights movement for black people. Um, uh, you had um, Dr. King. Now, a lot of people, when they hear Dr. King, they hear about, I have a dream and I want to, you know, you know, holding hands and turning the other cheek. What they don't understand is Dr. King had an economic agenda toward the end of his life. He had an economic agenda for, for, for black people. And um, he turned to economics. Because one of the things he said towards his life is, what good is it to sit at the lunch counter if you don't have enough money to buy the sandwich? You're not going to hear about that um, in schools. They're not teaching that. They're teaching you about, you know, you know, being socially, uh, being socially acceptable by white people and, and all this stuff, which is great. But, you know, if you're starving and you sit beside somebody with a full belly, that's not a lot of fun for you. But um, let's talk about um, number 89, Jason, where Dr. King was saying how social inclusion is, was free. It's more difficult today because we are struggling now for genuine equality. It's much easier to integrate a lunch counter than it is (laughs) to guarantee a livable income and a good, solid job. It's much easier to guarantee the right to vote than it is to guarantee the right to live in sanitary, decent housing conditions. It is much easier to integrate a public power than it is to make genuine quality integrated education a reality. And so today we are struggling for something which says we demand genuine equality. It's not merely a struggle against extremist behavior toward Negroes. The other thing I want you to understand is this, that it didn't cost the nation one penny to integrate lunch counters. It didn't cost the nation one penny to guarantee the right to vote. But now we are dealing with issues that cannot be solved without the nation spending billions of dollars and undergoing a radical redistribution of economic power. I bet you never heard Dr. King say that, did you? (laughs) Now, so that's Dr. King on economics and how he felt about it. And he had his writings, if you read them, uh, the very, um, very intense writings in, in regards to um, not just how uh, discrimination hurts blacks, but how discrimination hurts poor whites as well, because they're competing against an oppressed uh, minority. And that puts down with pressure on their wages the same way uh, with slavery. Slavery actually put depressed wages for free whites. They didn't just didn't realize they use racism 
That's why racism was so important to the elites. They used racism to get them on board on that team of oppressing of oppressing the, the, the blacks and having free labor. But what that really did was that gave competition to their wages. So it kept their wages low. The same way that illegal, you know, the, the exploitation of illegal aliens. I don't have anything against people coming to this country for a better opportunity. But the exploitation, it's not out of kindness. It's out of exploitation. The exploitation of, of those people's wages, because they can pay them less money, puts down with pressure on, uh, you know, middle, the middle class in this country. And that's the way the, the elites want it. The uh, And or sending the labor completely overseas, exporting the labor. They do that, too, offshore uh, hiring, where you can pay somebody a dollar an hour to do the same thing you're paying somebody $25 an hour to do in the United States. Slave wages. And that's putting down with pressure on on that middle class person to the point where (laughs) pretty soon we won't have a middle class. And people need to understand that. You got people making billions of dollars. And they call it uh, um, um, employment, um, wage inequality. Yeah, people making billions of dollars. You know, they got thirteen billion dollars in the bank. They got fourteen billion. Their um, employees need to work two jobs to survive, and we're subsidizing that. The taxpayers subsidizing that because you got to pay for their medical care and all that stuff, and they're getting food stamps and all that. So you're subsidizing the exploitation with your tax dollars of workers, and we don't get that. We think that it's okay to exploit people and make as much money as you possibly can to their detriment, and. Um, that's okay because we think one day we're going to be that billionaire. <laughs> that I mean, you got a bad chance of getting struck by lightning, buddy. Because what is becoming this country is becoming an oligarchy where a lot of the people that have wealth inherited it, including the president, current president, by the way. So, what what I did want to talk about? What well, Dr. King was on the plane one day, by the way, and um, one of the things they said to him, the guy on the plane was saying, "Look, you people ask for too much. Why don't y'all?" Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and because I came here, I was poor, and I and th- and now I have money because I worked hard. And Dr. King said I had to remind him that <laughs> the Negro came to his uh, country involuntarily and in chains. He said I also had to remind him that no other race of people were enslaved in this country, no other race. And he said I also had to remind him that you know the people that he, that he named the Irish, the Italians, and all that they weren't. Um, they didn't have doors closed to them because of the color of their skin. Black people did. Okay? It was legalized discrimination. And you had signs. If you look at any history book on the Civil Rights Movement, you see signs saying, you know, Negroes need not apply, etc. cetera. And uh, by the way, the March on Washington was the march on, the whole name for the March on Washington was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Okay? Not for handouts, but for jobs and freedom. A lot of people forget that because they cut that off of there. Nobody wants to believe that in this country there's poverty. There's poverty, buddy. There's, there's poverty in this uh, in this uh, in Baltimore City. All right, and we don't want to accept that. So uh, one of the things that Dr. King felt was that there had to be a massive program to uh, put people to work. You know, it's sort of like what happened in the Depression with the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps, and um, that was one of the things in his writings. And um, as far as uh, as far as um, when you hear racists say that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and by the way, Dr. King told that guy, he says, it's unfair to tell a man that don't have boots to pull himself up by his own bootstraps, okay? And um, and what Dr. King was knew, what Dr. King knew, and what, what I'm about to describe is how whites got advantage. They were given things that we were never given, okay? So don't think white people were never given anything. And one of them was called the uh, the head right system, where all you had to do is come over here, you got to hurt. 
acres of land if you were white. You got 100 acres of free land if you were white. And if you paid somebody's, um, um, well, let's go ahead and play the clip. Um, 93, Jace. And we'll, we'll let the. Uh, now, the first thing, the first program that they had to give white Americans an advantage, it was called the Headright System. Yeah, now, that, back in Virginia, system. 1618, they came up with the Headright System. Now, this system was to give 50 acres of land to every person that's head of the household. And they will usually give them between 50 to 100, but they can give them up to 1,000 acres of land. Now, we know this land was Indian territory. How did they get all this land from the Indians? Well, we know that the Indians didn't have firearms and cannons and all this other stuff. So they slaughtered the Indians and took their land. Bottom line. Because all this stuff was Native American territory. So if they wanted more people over here that came up with this system, and say, listen, if you pay for your voyage to come over here from Europe, we will give you 100 acres of land. You get your 100 acres of land, you could build your farms, you could build your plantations and all this other stuff. And so people got money together and came over here. They got the free land for free, given by the government, completely for free, and they settled here. Now, wealthy people that was already over here, if they brought in servants, indentured servants and slaves, they would get 50 acres per indentured servant of slaves. That's why they pack those boats so tight hey, hey, on having Africans on top of each other. It's because every African that came over here was 50 acres of land. You know, you get that? So it was a whole lot of money being made on top of the slaves getting here and doing the jobs for free that they did not pay for. Okay, so that was one of the ways that white people were given advantage over black people. And they were giving giveaways, basically giveaways, free land. And I know people always wonder why they packed those slaves in those ships <laughs> like that. For every slave they brought over here, they got 50 acres of free land. Okay. And every servant, every indentured servant, the only difference between an indentured servant was not a slave. I don't ever let any person tell you that, a, and I've heard this many times with white folk, that a, and I don't have anything against white people. I'm just saying the truth is the truth, no matter how you slice it, you know. Uh, but I've heard so many white folks tell me that district servant, they, you know, their ancestors, they were slaves. That is not a slave. And a district servant, you work for seven years, okay? After your seven years, they work for five to seven years. And your contract was t- torn along a line called the indenture. Once you finish your um, seven years of service, you were given that, your side of that contract back. You also were given 50 acres of land. The slaves didn't get that. The slaves, you didn't get. They were not only were they slaves, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, throughout forever, Throughout perpetuity, they were enslaved people, and they knew it. And there was no hope except escaping. You know, and that's what a lot of them did. They had um, numerous uh, revolts, numerous slave revolts. And what they would do, it got got so bad that if you ran ran away, they would castrate you in some of those colonies, okay, for running away. They would just castrate you, okay? So the slave, the... the, um, Contrary to what Kanye West is telling you, it was not voluntary. All right, there's a lot of people that revolted. They had the um the uh, oh god the stone uh the the Stoneman revolt back in um the the 1700s. They ended up when they put that revolt down, they started in um, putting people's heads on poles. Some of those people that those, the slaves that revolted because that put so much fear in, in the slave owners' um, hearts. With that revolt, that they they put they lined the road all the way up to South Carolina with slaves' heads on poles, that revolted. Okay, so slavery was kept in check by terror, 
Okay, the other thing they would do is take the biggest uh, Negro, if he bucked, they would take him and they would co- engage in something called buck breaking. And what they would do is bend him over and have a bunch of, uh, and you had white guys that would travel the countryside engaging in this, and they were engaging in uh, immoral sexual acts on that on that um, that guy that dared, you know, to buck the master. You know, and just to let people know who was in charge. So don't think, again, contrary, this is why I, <laughs> what Kanye West was saying was so damn ignorant. Don't think that slavery was um, voluntary and then we just sat around and took it. All right. Two big lies. And and that's why the uh, the movie uh, Harriet Tubman, uh, she was saying that movie, I'd rather be dead because the things they did to the women was even worse in a lot of cases. They would sell them off as, you know, let them people have their way with people's wives and everything else, you know. So slavery is a terrible thing. And, um, you know, there's no excuse for it. That was a deal the United States um, uh, system made with the devil. And the only way it could be resolved is through bloodshed. And that was the Civil War. And people predicted that for a long time. That's what had to happen eventually. Because the rich people were so greedy, they didn't want to give their slaves up without, without, going, without convincing the poor whites to fight for their property, what they considered property. And they were dumb enough to do it. And a lot of people lost their lives. It was the most brutal war in U.S. history. More soldiers died in the Civil War from America than any other war in history. And um, that's because uh, apparently Americans on both sides, okay? And, um, okay, the other way that whites were given um, things was the the, uh, the Homestead Act of 1862. And uh, with the Homestead Act of 1862, all you had to do was go west, and you would get free land just for going west. And there was a big thing, go west, young man. People right off the boat from Europe, <laughs> Irish people, whatever, from the potato famine or whatever, would come right off the boat. All they had to do was go west, and they would get free land. Okay? And that land was protected by the Buffalo Soldier. There's a black cavalry unit called the Buffalo Soldiers. That's how the West was won, by the way. And the Buffalo Soldiers, not only did they protect those settlers, they laid um, uh, telegraph wire. They built small towns. They did all kinds of things selling that West. Okay? And um, the reason they called them the Buffalo Soldiers is because they fought so ferociously, you know, uh, that the Indians gave them that name. It was because some, I, mean, I read some history books where they were saying that because they were ugly. That's nonsense. The Indian thought the buffalo had, had a great spirit. And they, they admired the, the spirit of the uh, buffalo soldier. That's why they called him the buffalo soldier. A lot of those guys were ex-Civil uh, War soldiers. They didn't want to go back to being a plant. Because after the Civil War was over, they had nothing else to do. You know, a lot of them. And it was like, because when the slaves were free, they were given a landless, fr- moneyless, penniless freedom. The slave masters got reparations. A lot of them sued for reparations. The slave masters got uh, $300 for each slave that was taken from them. So they got their reparations. The only thing the slave uh, got was misery. And, uh, okay, so let's say you want to go down to the, the downtown and get a job at the store. They, what they're going to tell you, okay, you want your freedom, got it. Okay, good luck with that one. You know, so, you know, you, you were forced into a condition of servitude known as serfdom, American serfdom. You know, it was called sharecropping in this country. And uh, it was really slavery, all <laughs> 2.0. That's all sharecropping was. So, um, so you you um, basically you were supposed to be given a share of the land and a share of the crops, but you had to plant for the white man. You do all this stuff for the white man. And um, the biggest illusion about slavery is that the white that the slaves were fed well. That's what uh oh god that guy uh oh uh. O'Reilly said they said the slaves were fed well. For one thing, the slaves grew their own food. They cooked their own food and then the master's food and everything. They skinned their own food. They um, they planted rice. They taught a lot of the um, the settlers how to p- plant rice and these other uh, grains, 
and for cash crops because there was no gold to be found here. Because they originally came in to find gold, they couldn't find any gold, so tobacco became the plant. You know, became the harvest plant, and that's why all that land became important because you need a lot of land to grow tobacco, and it became a cash crop, followed by cotton. Okay, so all you had to do in 1862 was go west, and you would get this free land. And uh, that was part of the Homestead Act of 1862. Now, black people didn't get any of that land. You know, some of them did, but they was these elite boule blacks that, you know, that had special consideration. The Clarence Thomases of that time, the uh, the Ben Carsons of that time, they were given, you know, token Negroes were given some land. But for the most part, it was only for whites. Then you had um, you had the, the, um, uh, the GI Bill. Back in the fort, if you go go even a little further, closer to our times, you had the GI Bill. Whites were given; um, <laughs> they weren't a lot of loans being put out. So that what what happened was the federal government had something called the FHA, and they said, "Look, we'll, we'll back these loans, but you got to live in certain areas." Okay, so they had maps <laughs> that they would color in red where the black people were living. They were covering blue where which was only for white people. They would only give loans to white people in those areas. If you were black, you could not get a, a loan for a house in that area. You just couldn't do it. They was not. They were not going to give you a loan that area, and it was backed by the federal government. The blue areas were for white for whites. Okay, the um, the the red areas were the unfavorable areas. Um, a lot of you know was for blacks. That was called. That's where redlining got its name. This was on government maps. Those were for black. Then you had the yellow areas that were kind of in decline. Okay, now white even white people couldn't move into the the redline areas because they were for blacks. You know, and the blacks couldn't even get loans there <laughs> their own, to own their own uh, ghettos. Because actually, if you look at it this way, the federal government actually created the ghettos. The federal government created the ghettos in that way by through red, a system of redlining. And now in Baltimore City, they want these neighborhoods back. <laughs> this is amazing. You know, after predatory lending and all this stuff got people create all this blight, they want to get this land back. So this is what. And I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read from a, from a, um, an article. Hold on a second before I get started. There, let's talk about why um, people uh, voted for Donald Trump. Uh, election of okay ninety one, and how that proves that racism is still alive. First of all, because I know y'all think a lot of this stuff goes back to old times, but let's talk about a lot of people, especially black. Uh, um, uh, liberals think that you know there's something else, but it was a lot of it was basically racist. Okay, the old-fashioned guy. So who are the people who put Donald Trump in the White House? Is this a revolt of the dispossessed, of the left behind, of globalization's losers? Is it a backlash against free trade? Some of the top voices on the US left seem to think so. But what if the economy isn't the main driver? What if it's racism and racial resentment that helped put Trump in the Oval Office? What if it's the white lash? Build that wall! Build that wall! USA! USA! Get out! That's economic anxiety? Just look at the evidence. First off, exit polls from the primaries found the median household income of a Trump voter is well above the national average. And the exit poll from the presidential election confirmed Hillary Clinton won the majority of voters earning under $50,000. In addition, a massive pre-election Gallup study found living in areas more exposed to trade or immigration does not increase Trump's support. Second, people of color in the United States, especially black voters, are far worse off economically than their white counterparts. If it's all about income and jobs and trade, why did people of color vote overwhelmingly for Clinton, not Trump? Or does their economic anxiety not count? 
Third, just listen to what Trump voters actually say about why they support him. One study found that the easiest way to identify if someone supports Trump over Clinton is to ask if they think Barack Obama is a Muslim. It's more accurate than asking them whether they're Republicans. That study also found factors like economic pessimism and income statistically insignificant to Trump's rise. Other studies found a strong relationship between anti-black attitudes and support for Trump, with Trump supporters more likely to describe African Americans as criminal, unintelligent, lazy and violent, more likely to believe people of color are taking white jobs, with a majority of them rating blacks as less evolved than whites. Do I really need to go on? Oh, but what about all the low-income white voters that Obama won in 2008, but Trump won in 2016? A, there's no evidence that it's the same white people who voted for Obama that voted for Trump. We just don't have that data yet. B, Democrats lost more votes in counties where white income growth was highest than where it was lowest. And C, Obama wasn't running against a candidate who engaged in the textbook definition of racism and had a long history of anti-black bias. Look, there are multiple reasons why Trump won. Democratic candidate and low Democratic turnout. The whole email issue. And yes, of course, the economy played a role. But to focus all or most of our attention on income inequality and the left behind real issues, which need addressing, doesn't tackle the racist elephant in the room. And yes, I accept not all Trump voters are racist, but the racists did vote for Trump. Plus, as one very viral tweet aptly put it, not all Trump supporters are racist, but all of them decided that racism isn't a deal breaker. And so we have a situation where in January, the first black president of the United States will hand over to a president endorsed by the KKK. But apparently it's the economy, stupid. I don't think so. Okay. <coughs> Again, as I said before, anybody that doesn't think that Donald Trump is a racist, first and foremost, is an idiot. I'm not even going to debate that. I'm not even going to have that conversation. It's a waste of time. Man's father was in the KKK, got arrested, and <laughs> KKK activity. Had the biggest lawsuit against him in history for housing discrimination, both him and his father. Um, just the things he says out of his mouth will let you know, you know, that that he's a racist. So, no, so what if he never said that word, or you at least you never heard him say it? You know, that just makes it all right. Okay, if you believe that. Okay, now we're gonna start opening up the lines to callers. The, the number is four one zero four eight one ten ten. Four one zero four eight one ten ten. Okay, if you wanna if you wanna chime in and. Um, uh, but, but before we go to the callers, let's, let's just go one more. We're going to talk about Dr. King. Um, we're going to have Dr. King's theories um, exposed some of the things that you're not, that you don't learn in school or history in regards to Donald Trump. Do, I mean, uh, Dr. King. And uh, <coughs> it's, we're going to explain how economic discrimination hurts poor whites as well. And that's number 90. At the present time, thousands of jobs a week are disappearing in the wake of automation and other production efficiency techniques. Dr. King's proposal was that anyone ready and willing to work would be assured a public service job. His vision thus extended to all those left behind, including unemployed and poor whites. While African Americans form the vast majority of America's disadvantaged, there are millions of white poor who would also benefit from such a bill. The moral justification for special measures for African Americans is rooted in the robberies inherent in the institution of slavery. Many poor whites, however, were the derivative victims of slavery. As long as labor was cheapened by the involuntary servitude of the black man, the freedom of white labor, especially in the South, was little more than a myth. 
It was free only to bargain from the depressed base imposed by slavery upon the whole of the labor market. Nor did this derivative bondage end when formal slavery gave way to de facto slavery of discrimination. To this day, the white poor also suffer deprivation and the humiliation of poverty, if not of color. They are chained by the weight of discrimination, though its badge of degradation does not mark them. It corrupts their lives, frustrates their opportunities, and withers their education. In one sense, it is more evil for them because it has confused so many by prejudice that they have supported their own oppressors. Black and white, we will all be harmed unless something grand and imaginative is done. The unemployed, poverty-stricken white man must be made to realize that he is in the very same boat with the African-American. Together they could exert massive pressure on the government to get jobs for all. Together they could form a grand alliance. Together they could merge all people for the good of all. Okay, then Dr. King was talking about a living wage before they even before it became fashionable. This is back, he was a visionary, the man was brilliant. And he was talking about this stuff before it was even a, wor- a word, a living wage. So this is the kind of stuff that you're not going to hear <laughs> when Dr. King started asking for real economic inclusion. That's why he was killed, according to his wife. That's what his wife told Byron Allen, that her, her, her mark was killed when he started worrying about economic stuff and uh, the status quo. And that's the reason he was killed. As long as he was talking about stuff sitting beside somebody in a lunch counter or having housing, because white people move away from you. <laughs> so if you get Freeman housing, they just move away. So, and you've seen that in Woodlawn, and, you know, I don't need to tell you that, and, and uh, Glen Burnie and all these other places y'all move. And they just move away from you. They move further out. Okay, by the way, the number is 410 481 If anyone want to doubt or debate what I'm saying, feel free to. But it's an exercise of futility because you know I'm right deep down inside, even if you don't want to accept it. Okay, let's bring Ernest up. Go ahead, Ernest. Hello? Hello, Ernest. Ernest? I can't, I can't hear you. Hello? Hold on, Ernest. Mm, yeah. Hold on, Ernest. We're trying to get this straight. I can't hardly hear you. Well, at any rate, while we're, we're waiting for them to bring Ernest up, and then uh, we got some other callers, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to drive on. They're trying to straighten out the systems here. Um, again, the numbers, uh, just be patient with us. We're trying to get everything straightened out here. Um, the number here is 410-481-1010. We still want to take callers. And um, like I said, if you want to engage in debate with me, feel free to. And uh, I'll take all comers, you know, in regards to this. Okay, so... Now, one of the things that I was reading about recently, uh, and this was an article in the in the, um, uh, the Baltimore Sun, 
And, uh... Okay, go ahead, Ernest. I'm sorry. Ernest. Ernest. Okay. All right. Well, I guess... Ernest, can you hear me? All right. So, let me drive back on again. Okay. So, Ernest, call back if you can. But uh, for whatever reason, we can't... Um, I can't seem to get you in the... In my earphones. All right. Okay. So. Okay. It says uh, the the name of the article is uh, Governor Hogan announces a seven hundred million. Oh, okay. I see. I see you again, Ernest, on the uh, on the other line. Okay. Can you hear me, Ernest? Yeah. Okay. I got you. you now. Good. I heard you before. You couldn't hear me. Okay. Hey, well, I want to talk about Dr. Martin Luther King. And I, I looked up something that was very interesting on the YouTube. Okay, go ahead. I want everybody to inside story: Who killed Martin Luther King? The FBI. But go ahead. But you know who? Who? who go ahead. You know who played a a real part in his death? Who's that? Black people. And his entourage, Reverend Just, Billy Kyle. Okay. They played a, and and they explained how they did it. If you look at that 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 YouTube, go ahead. They had a group of black people that they called Black Pearls that they would get to spy on black people, and they had them up in his entourage. Now remember that they had two army snipers there, and but the the person that allegedly killed. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was a Memphis police sniper. Wow. Now, if, according to this story, if they had two army snipers there, why didn't they kill everybody on that porch, on that on that balcony? Uh, an army sniper could knock a tick off a dog. Pretty much, especially with the hardware the army has. With the hardware they got, yeah. and I mean, even if you drop down, if it's a brick wall, they got bullets that'll go right through that wall. Absolutely. I've seen it happen. So, and they was porting up at the, the library. When a shot falls out, you are not going to stand up and point at a, a open window. That You're was staged, hit. actually. For what I understand, Ernest, in all fairness, um, they, they asked those people to do that later, after you know, just point where it came. Oh, it did it later? Yeah, they staged it for the photographers. That, was, that wasn't uh, actually... Why would they do that then? I, that's I not no what idea. happened. I can't speak to that, but I know it was staged. It was not. It was staged. Okay, I know yeah. it was staged yeah. because I knew it was they staged were, because if somebody shooting at you, you're gonna you're gonna drop down. As soon as you hear that gunshot, you're gonna either be running or on your knees crawling or trying to trying to get out of the, the line of fire. And the other thing is, even with even with uh, Ahaj Malik Shabazz. It, it was the government, of course, that was behind it, but it was the black people that bombed his house with his wife and, 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 and children in it. And it was the black people that that killed him. Of course. Of course, we know that. It was the black people. And what it tells me that when you study history, all our leaders in Africa and black leaders in the United States, for the most part, were killed by black people that was working with white people. 
that's that's the way it is. Uh, even in Africa, uh, uh, the, the the people that was trying to liberate Africa was killed by black people, and then they was put in uh, on the throne in the government. Lumumba, Patrice Lumumba was killed by a black person. Right. So well, we we know that the FBI, for instance. We know the FBI, um, CIA, and right, they surveilled Dr. King, and they had—I yeah. think his code name was Reddit for the FBI. Yeah. And uh, the one black guy in the room, when they um, when they finally got Dr. King, they announced that um, Dr. King was um, killed. Right. And uh, the FBI, the FBI headquarters, and everybody was cheering, and the one black guy in the room was crying. You know. Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you another thing. They, according to that story, the Reverend Billy Kyle, they had a tactical unit. Uh, police unit of the Memphis Police Department. He called the the, uh, the director of that unit and told him to move that tactical unit away from the Lorraine Motel. Right. Reverend Billy Kyle. That was his right hand man. One of his right hand men right, and his right, entourage. Right. Yeah, but um, the um, the the King family doesn't believe that um, uh, James Earl Roe killed Dr. King. And I don't either. James Earl Ray, while he was dying, said that he didn't kill Dr. King. He was a patsy. In right. the same uh, way that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, these things are just too suspicious. How does, how, does, um, how does James Earl Ray end up in Great Britain when they catch him? And he's a, he's a dishwasher. They had him. <laughs> Come on, man. You know? yeah, yeah, but see, they had, they had planned this, and, and they had planned, planned for him being a, a patsy because I think probably when they decided that they was going to take uh, Dr. Martin Luther King out for sure is well, when he Jay started Hoover talking against he, the Vietnam, Vietnam right. War. Right, he spoke out against the Vietnam War. That was, that was the, one, the one thing they hated. He spoke out against that. He was one of the first people to speak out against it. It endeared him to the white college students, but the, but the white um, patriarch society, the, the, the older white men, they hated right. him for that. They hated him for that. Right, and, and so right. So the FBI. And right. he, was, he, was, he, was, he was on the right side of history when he was against that war. He saw for what it was. He saw it was evil. It was a waste of U.S. resources. And, um, it, it, you know, it, we had no business over there. You know, we had no business over there fooling with those people, trying to tell them how to live. And I'm going to say one last thing. People going to have to look this up. The person that wanted uh, uh, Al-Haj Malik Shabazz killed yes. was H. L. Hunt. You can okay. look it look it up, and you'll find out the whole story on H. L. Well, Hunt. Well, it'd be uh, too painful for me to bring that up right, over the right. ass. Well, what Dr. King said to um, uh, what, what Malcolm X said to uh, Dr. King when we first met him, because Malcolm X was in his life was trying to link up with Dr. King and meet him. He wanted to meet him, and um, he wanted to join forces with some of these civil rights organizations and all that. And when when he finally met him. Um, there's a famous picture of those two together. He said to him, he said, the, the one thing that we both have in common is that we're both dead men. That's what he told Dr. <laughs> right, King. Right, right, right. <laughs> he knew that back then. Right. Yeah. H. L. For people that don't know, H.L. Hunt was from Texas. He, he was allegedly involved in killing John Fitzgerald Kennedy also. Right, right. These and, people were powerful. That's, why the, that's the, also the danger of having all these billionaires around. They can right, have you erased. You know what I'm right. saying? Right, and and but if you look up the I history of H. L. Hunt, you'll find out what black people were involved 
and the assassination of okay, Ernest, let me try to get some more people oh, okay thank it's you a good conversation but call back next um next week all right okay next conversation all right so let's go to muhammad ali muhammad ali i beat the most i beat the respect yeah uh <laughs> hello great show yes sir yeah go ahead muhammad. can you hear me is this muhammad was I on? the greatest <laughs> yes sir was i on <laughs> yeah you won the greatest fight of all time <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> yeah, great show, man. Yeah, that's what our people need to hear the truth, you know. Right. And and, I, and it was it was really uh, uh, wonderful that he would start off with Brother Leo, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I respect I respect that guy. Okay. That was um. <laughs> Briefly. That was Ernest. Yeah. That was Ernest. That was Ernest. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, the going forward into the twenty first century, right? The the new war cry is. We need and must have, and we must obtain money, power, and the most pragmatic of common denominators, right? We need to spend, we need to love one another, spend money with our sister, spend money with our brother, That's enrich right. one another, That's you know, right. going forward to the 21st century. We got to stop playing. Mm. We, we need to play the game of power as it should be played. Let me tell y'all something, right? Woe the days when the bars start blowing up. Woe the days the bars start blowing up and people like uh uh, uh you know I'm, I'm i'm so mad at this guy i forgot his name you know the secretary of hood and then people start getting assassinated what were those days secretary of hood that's dr ben carson thank you brother <laughs> right okay um all right let's uh move to jeff go ahead jeff hello yeah hello Morning. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on uh, one of the things that the young man said, uh, that he was pointing out um, half of the truth. I, I, I think it's very imperative that people know the whole truth. Okay, you know, he, he said his statement was that, you know, it was black people, black people, black people. But he didn't tell the rest of the truth that these people were brainwashed. These people, uh, families were held hostage. These people were under submission to the government that if they didn't do it, they would be killed. Their families would be killed and their families' families. And also, they were uh, brainwashed that these people were the enemy against, uh, you know, their own race and that they had to be eliminated. So, you know, when you are uh, backed in a corner, you know, the only thing you could do is, is, is try to survive so you're yourself. Saying, Jeff, you're saying that these people were, were justified in bringing about the death of, uh, considering their circumstance, they were, you're saying, that considering their circumstance, they were justified, and instead of standing up, bringing about the death of some of our greatest leaders, Dr. King, well, what the unfortunate thing uh, of, of human beings is that we uh, we try to do whatever it takes to to make sure that we survive. Right. And even though uh, somebody uh, okay, else's life right there, is, Dr. Is, King, Dr. King, like I said, when when Malcolm X finally met Dr. King, he said the one thing we have in common is we are both dead men. Now, the fact that they were going to die didn't stop them from doing what they were right. The, well, the fact that you're going to kill my family and my family's family. That would make me. Uh, well, both Dr. King and um, Malcolm X said their house was bombed. Matter of fact, Malcolm X came out in his underwear with a gun because he felt like his daughter almost got killed. He's very pissed Exactly. Off. But go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. So, so I'm just saying, so when your family is in, involved, you know, you're going to do whatever it takes not, to protect Not them. everybody. Some people are going to stand up and defend them. There's a very famous picture of, that, of uh, Malcolm X with an, M6, uh, an assault rifle in his hand looking out the window. 
towards the end of his life, he was very paranoid. He felt like he even said, "I'm a dead man." He said it on news. He said he said that the the nation is on kill. That's what he said. You look it up. You know, it's all it's all out there. You can't hide anything now. You know, because go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I mean, me personally, if my it, you know, depending on the situation and uh, what family. Uh, they have hostage. I mean, like you have a child, and your child don't even have a chance to live. You you didn't have an opportunity to live, but if you you know, and they put a gun to your child's and your wife's head, you you might uh, imply to do anything that well, they actually. I would advise you. I would advise you, Jeff, to, to Google um, Malcolm X predicts something like that and read up read up on it. It'll explain to you how he was killed or how he thought he was going to be killed, which it really came to pass, and uh, why and why he thought he was killed. Okay. A lot of information on the internet about that because you can't, like as I said before, these cell phones and everything, these smartphones, people do a lot of smart things with them. But I, when people try to doubt what I say, I, I, the first thing I tell them is, bring, pull that smartphone, and then you tell me I'm wrong. Don't just talk off the top of your head or, or what you heard on the street. That's just some research, and then you can, you, then you debate with me. You know, but absolutely, yeah. And I, 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 I mean, I enjoyed the conversation. Call back next week, sir. All right, thank you. All right, thank you for calling. Okay, so let's go to, um, uh, let's see, let's go to, let's go to Mark. Let's bring Mark up. Hey, how you doing, Tyrone? All right, Mark, how's it going there, buddy? Hey, man, it's going good, man. Look, Tyrone, um, a couple things, man. Thank you for opening up when you do with uh, Sister Zing and Leo. And thank you for letting people know, man. A lot of people, I think, miss this when you open up and you talk about um, having a thousand or more signatures, um, you know, that talking about uh, um, the boarded up houses and all that kind of stuff and stuff that we need. Okay, start, and, start and, right there, Mark. Excellent point. And I appreciate you keeping me on point with this stuff because that's the reason for showing <laughs> But, um, yeah, you're that's right. Tough. A lot of the city officials, you know, that the last time I spoke to the city officials, and I'm not going to say the woman's name, she said that... Um, she I was kind of um, very dismissive uh, and very arrogant. She said to me, she said, um, the mayor, and if you want to know what we're talking about, go to www.baltimore4homes.com, www.baltimore4homes.com. She said, she said that the, the mayor, she said that the mayor has 35,000 people to advise him. And I pulled the petitions, 35,000, talking about the whole, I guess the whole employee staff of Baltimore City, I don't know. And I, I, okay. I immediately, I immediately pulled out those petitions that I had with me. I always carry them with me, right. and I said, "Yeah, but these people voted, but these people voted for him." That's what I told her. But these people voted for. Him. I said, "Don't think it's just us in this room. This group of guys in this room that's talking to you. These people want their neighborhoods back, okay? That's and right. this is the most efficient way to do it. And uh, we, we're not playing this. I mean, this is it's a thousand people want this at least. You know, we've had over." Uh, close to 8,000 hits on our website. You know, I mean, people are quite interested in this, okay? This is not a joke. This is not a joke. And the things that happen to the black community are, are um, inexcusable in regards to housing, okay? And, and those that, what they're engaging in by turning these houses down, the, the affordable, the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore is economic genocide, okay? That's what it is, plain and simple. And you know what, brother? I'm, um, Captain P, say what you will. But um, she created the Office of African-American Male Engagement, which is making an impact right now, along with the Office of uh, um, 
uh, Mr. McKinstry. Which we want to work um, with to put some of these young men to work in the trades and employ them and train them in the trades like plumbing, electric, electrical work, uh, heating and cooling, things that it takes to put a house together, carpentry, at a living wage that Dr. King talked about. And, and you should be, and your program should be a part of that, man. And let me tell you something, man. Can't make they can't make no you know the city hall can't they can't make excuses and stuff. We need the public. Let me we need tell action. You we need action. Saturday. We need a, a massive Saturday. plan. Go ahead, quick mark, quick mark. I got, I got other calls. I'm trying to get them all, get them all. But go ahead, make real food. quick, uh, real quick. Mondays and Saturdays, two three hundred men walking the streets of Baltimore, giving out information, excellent, and spreading love. And and let me close with this, man. Look. Saturday, we was walking down Greenmount. There were three officers outside of their car. We gave them some stop the beef information and some, some job information to give people, man. There you Be go. Glad. Excellent. Excellent. Right. Thank you for your help in the community. And keep up the good work, man. Stay out there fighting. Okay, let's go to Gene. Uh, hey, Tyrone. Just hey. want to mention, too, that it should be the city that finances uh you know, the dollar house program that you are implementing. Absolutely. We want the loans to come from the city. The city is tax money. Right. We want the taxpayers. What the taxpayers are asking the city to do is lend us our own money back to us. Right. And we will pay you our own money back in the same way you uh, lend to others with with tips and all these other things. Right. Other vehicles you use to give money to the rich and subsidize wealth. Let's try throwing a bone to the working class citizen. Yeah, you know. And so this, uh, the other thing I wanted to chime in on is what people do. You know, let me let me one more thing, Gene. The reason why that's so important is because the banks are still discriminating against, yes. discriminating against blacks and lenders. Yes, yes, all right. No it's been proven. That. It's been documented. Yep. And then the, okay, the other thing I want people to do is go on their smartphone and Google Manchurian candidate, and then you'll understand why these assassins assassinated our leaders and right. how they did it. So yeah. thank you, man. Keep up the good work, Tyrone. Love you, man. All right, sir. Thank you for calling in. Now um, that what he what he just said those those leaders that were assassinated in the sixties, they were dangerous to the status quo, and that's why they had to be eliminated. They couldn't let those people just you know go about their business, arousing the people against the status quo, quote against the super rich. You know these are people that have greed beyond all measure. Beyond you cannot satiate their greed, no matter what you give them. You it doesn't matter. They can have a billion dollars. They want two billion. They got fifteen, twenty billion. They want eighty billion. You know you will never. Say she, they're, they're agreed. And by the way, triple down economics does not work. The person that developed it said it doesn't work. Okay? And uh, you can look it up. It does not work. And we still base our economy on triple down economics. It's more important that the middle class have money, uh, billions of dollars, than the, the rich to hoard it. Okay? And uh, it never worked. It never will work. And it never did work. And uh, this concludes another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Man, that hour goes by pretty quick. I have other things I want to talk about, but I just ran out of time. I'm telling you, hours is just not enough. And I appreciate everybody that called in and gave your opinions. And uh, join us again next week. And I thank you for your time. I think you better call WOLB Baltimore and WERQ FM HD3 Baltimore. Talk in the day. Soul at night.
on the new 1010 WOLB.